0: We look at modern footballers and think they are indestructible gladiators. We also think they have it all – money, fame, adulation, playing a sport they love for a living. For Lance Pacione, a high-performing junior and first-round draft pick in the AFL, his ability to perform on the football field masked anxiety and depression for many years, ultimately leading to a shortened football career and a path towards substance abuse that spiralled into contemplating suicide. His descent was quick and would reflect what many people face in everyday life. Lance, surrounded by incredible women in his wife, mother and sister, was able to pick up the pieces of his own life, make his own mental commitment and start a foundation Love Me Love You that helps people get out of the mental health danger zone by identifying debilitating mental illness and providing interactive and engaging programs that challenge the views and stigmas surrounding mental health. Lance is inspirational and motivational, and the turns in his own life have led him on a mission that will empower great change and make a real difference to lives and the community at large. Our interview is very raw and very real and filled with poignant moments. But as Lance has demonstrated, Mental health issues don't stop you from leading a life full of purpose, love and happiness. Enjoy. Lance Piccioni, CEO of Love Me, Love You Foundation. Welcome to Discipline. Thank you very much. Now, I've got some very important ground to cover today, um, but I always like to start at the beginning with you. Um, your father, Josip?
1: Or Joe. Yeah, Joe Joey, yeah.
0: was a Romanian immigrant to Australia, and he represented Australia in soccer for one one test. Uh, no, nah, there's a few. There's, there's a few. a few gigs, yeah. So I've got a triple banger question to kick are. off with. One, um, when you were growing up, were you aware that you were the child of immigrants? Two, were you as a family more into sports or academics? And three, uh, you went to Essendon Grammar as a as a young man, a school which has incredible alumni in arts, business, sporting fields. What were you focused on at school?
1: First one, um, was I aware that well, the immigrant thing? No. Um, we were just a good old fashioned Aussie family doing our thing. Yeah. Um, like everybody else, barbecues and whatnot, and pools and so on. Um, uh, I was always aware that um, dad was a soccer star. Yeah. Was, was fully aware of that um, because he will tell you how <laughs> much of a soccer star he, he was. Um, but he. Um, no, we, uh, we we had a good time growing up. Our family was, was pretty good. Like yeah. we, had a, we had a really good, solid, strong family-valued um, connection. And, and my mum is the most caring um, person in the world for me, me growing up as a mother. Dad was the hardest working man I've ever met in my life. Yeah. Um,
0: but we also had
1: some pretty big challenges with my dad, um, uh, growing up because you know he not until about 10 years ago we found out that dad uh, lived with undiagnosed bipolar really? really for a long period of yeah, time okay. so that sort of caused some tricky situations growing up um you know and the sport, but sport was our thing and anyhow, i started that played basketball in you know, under rates mixed um uh basketball as a four-year-old Yep. You know, as a four-year-old most kids are worried about, you know, picking their nose. Um, <laughs> and here I was playing playing sport. Um, and that was our thing. It's always been our thing. It's, it's, we appreciate more the connection of what um, being a part of a club is about. Yeah. You know, you can form and it doesn't matter if you're be the best player or the worst player in a team or whatever sport it is. It's about being a part of the club, and I think that's always been a big thing for us as a family. Um, and then went to Pegs. Um, in year six, after a uh, pretty um, interesting career at primary school, right, my local primary school in Downs back in the day, um, a lot of trouble. I was, I was causing a lot yep. of trouble, a lot of issues. Yeah, um, yeah. My parents, they, I think the school had my parents on speed dial, um, which would cause a whole range of issues. But then, at uh, grade six, I went to Pegs and was introduced to to footy um uh, at that at that age and never picked up a footy before or anything because basketball was my thing yeah um we never played soccer I never played soccer as a junior or anything either. Didn't? um my brother played soccer uh, as a junior and then dad um, the culture around the soccer clubs um it was very the culture in terms of the the race the the where they're from the very background ethnic sort of extremely ethnic, ethnic and it yeah. was it, it was like the Greek clubs versus the yeah. Ugo, Yugoslavian clubs Croatia, versus the Croatians yeah, versus yeah. the whole thing so um, and then with Dad being who he was he said you're a soccer room and you know he was a he was a star like he was a genuine star. Um, um, from all the clippings and stuff that we've read and people that I've seen and been doing presentations now at soccer clubs um, you get the dads come up to me and oh that, your dad was Jack or oh, he's Jack Petroni I said yeah that's him he was, like, he was a star um, you know him and he got uh, asked to go and play like in the, in the Italian leagues the Serie A clubs um, and and said no purely because he wanted to bring up his family in Australia. Made his life here. He it was made heavy. his life here. Yep. He wanted his, his um, kids to grow up here. Um, but then, yeah, yeah, I was, I was more um, sport-focused, definitely. Um, footy and basketball was just my thing. Yeah. Um, uh, I, was, I was fairly academic. Like, you know, I was able to do. I'm a bit of a numbers numbers guy. Like, like maths. Math and accounting, yeah. and that was, was my thing. And then it sort of got a bit complicated um, uh, as you went in higher in high school around maths and stuff so yeah. I sort of dropped that off a little bit but you were still um, excelling so still, in footy though. still excelling in footy yeah. no, no, I, was, you know, I was playing I was playing in rep squads and state squads um, from when I was 13 I you know, back to my first um, had first contact from an AFL club Fremantle when I was 13 years of age um, and you know, I had constant relationships um, from with all most majority of the football clubs AFL clubs from 13 14 15 yeah, so about, yeah. um, you know, states and state captains and all the awards and everything that come were with
0: you, it. You were captain at 17 of uh, Vic Metro? No, no, I wasn't.
1: No, I was captain uh, of the under-15s and under-16s okay. uh, Vic Metro uh, Victorian squads. Yeah. Under-18s, um, under, under 18, so it went from sixteen to to 18s. Um, and, no, so I played as a bottom major in the under-18s, so under-17, um, but definitely wasn't captain. Okay. Should have been. No no no. no, 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 yeah, I didn't.
0: At that stage, were you just naturally talented, or did you also work hard on your fitness and your, your skills, or just gifted and letting uh, talent take its course at this stage?
1: Bit of both. Bit of both. I was um, I was a big kid. I was a yeah, 13, 14 year old. I was, I was a pretty developed sort of guy. Yeah. Um, I had a natural talent. Yeah, we've got to have some sort of level. Talent to to excel in any sport, I think. Um, you know, I I trained like I was playing. I was trained probably every day. I was doing the whole thing. I was making sure you know fitness was to a level. Yeah. Um, but it was not so much my fitness that I really worked on. It was my capacity in my head to make sure that I was dominating. Yep. Doing everything switched um, on. Switched on. Yeah. and I was aggressive and I was hard. Yeah. Um, and I've always that was my thing and it was from my first game of footy to my last game of footy that was my thing that I wanted to hold my hat on was that I was so unbelievably aggressive and hard in yeah. the contest that um, people remembered it and, and I sort of think I did that Yeah, and I was able to do that from, from juniors through to my AFL Everyone I played country and local footy post AFL
0: yeah I mean it's a, it's an incredibly tough game AFL you put your head and your body in places where it shouldn't, shouldn't be Shouldn't be. yeah yeah it
1: shouldn't be and you don't know where it's going to get hit from and um, you know, the footy back when I was playing um, was a different sport to what it is now. Um, it was a bit more contested. It was a bit more pack mentality. It was...
0: There was a lot more hits behind play. A lot more <laughs> high play. Um, At the end of 97, hmm. um, you're drafted by a team who's just won the premiership, yeah. the Adelaide Crows. So you've now got to leave home, move to Adelaide, moving to a team that just won a premiership with a mercurial coach and hmm. Malcolm Blight. What does that do to a young
1: man? I don't think I don't I don't think it really hit me um until actually recently like until I finished playing footy um of what it sort of meant to be that sort of first round draft pick for Adelaide Crows moving to you know playing interstate moving away from family um because I was always had an expectation of myself to perform yeah it didn't matter what level I was playing at. you were just focused I was just focused and that that was footy this yeah. is how we play it this is how I get it done yeah um and then, you know, I started playing pretty well and, you know, I had a good, fairly all right pre-season, my first one there. And, you know, but, you know, I, my, I was one of four when I was at Adelaide and I sat next to lock next to Darren Jarman.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, one of the greatest of all time, you yeah. know, in terms of skill level and ability to play. And just start in a grand final. Just start in a grand final. But um, the footy clubs are a really cool places to understand that we're all here and we're all on the same on the same level. We're all here to make sure that we, you know, perform together and make sure we're moving forward. So, um, you know, I was taken under the you know, the wing of, you know, people like Andrew McLeod and yeah. Mark Bickley and, you know, the guys like this. And um, my, I did get really starstruck all at that time though with Tony Modra. He was you know, but he had had a sort of interesting sort of phase when I became in because he um was obviously the god and king of AFL and especially Adelaide, you know that was a bit of like, but it was still Tony Modra and um and even you see him today, like the the aura that he has that surrounds him, he's just like that's Mods. People People love him. People love him. He's just a dude, yeah. um, That used to take marks for fun, yeah. But you know there was a lot of pressure that came with it, and then I didn't. I spoke about this with the young kids the other day, around Never Forget what you did to get you are where you are, yeah. And I think I did forget and I forgot about the work that I put in. I forgot how I was supposed to play um, early and I got really ahead of myself. And,
0: and why was that? I mean, I could imagine it was also hard to break into a team that's just won a flag. And yeah, you, yeah, well, said, we,
1: well, it was actually lucky for me. They had a fair few injuries at the start of 99. I started at start of 98, sorry, my first year. Um, so, and I was playing regularly, you uh, um midfield in the practice matches and the, whatever it was called back wasn't called the nap cup back then. Um but um, you know, and I was playing and I was like, oh, this is this is the right idea, you know, I'm doing my thing. It's still pretty good. Um, and then I got dropped after my first game, so round one I got dropped. And then it was just like what's what's happened here, you know? I've never been dropped in my life. Like what's what am I doing here? But then I went back to play at Glenelg um, who was the one of the feeder clubs every player a uh, different club they went to um, and I had you know 30 odd posies and it's like oh I'm gonna do this um, and then went back in and I was in and out of the team um, for the first seven rounds um, and I just lost my way, just got ahead of myself and thought you know, the footy God it got me.
0: And there wasn't the arses, support yeah. structures at the club to help you through that at that time?
1: <laughs> That's interesting. Um, so, we're talking 21 years ago. Yeah, right. Uh, a support structures around a football club, um, around business, around community, around society is, is totally different to what it is now. The support structure that we had, we had a guy called Phil Harper who was um, the, the welfare guy that came in. Sort of wasn't really to me home truth that was told to me from him sort of thing at that stage. Um, that sort of relationship at that time at the footy club, if you're not in the senior side, you don't get spoken to. Right. Yeah. So you've got to work it, you've got to work it out and you've got to put the work in.
0: So it's a two-tier kind of club.
1: You've got the seniors
0: yeah. and then you've got everyone, everyone else. else. Everyone else.
1: Right. Um, you know, it, it, talking about the coaching staff, you know, we had a uh, senior coach, Malcolm yep. Blight. We had an assistant coach. Yeah. Maybe two assistant coaches yep. that weren't. You know, full time sort of thing either. John Reed was um, there. New... Uh, John Reed was general manager yep. who, anyone that's met John Reed, um, will understand he's a colourful character. Um, but he didn't like my ways of going about it. I was a, a, um, a cocky upstart from Victoria. Right. Um, so we didn't have a really good relationship either. Um, you know, our fitness coach was Neil Craig back then. So, you know, it was you work your ass off and you make it make it work yeah um, and he'd come out of the ais he, he? came out of there yeah so he knew what he knew what he was doing yeah um and yeah but back as i said 98 uh, those days it was not work smarter it was work harder
0: yeah and being in adelaide away from family i mean that does that exacerbate
1: the problem for a young man for me it did yeah for me it did my parents were like my bumper rails Sort of thing, you know, uh, talked to 10-pin bowling and um, Kept me in line. Yeah. Made it work. And that's how we sort of kept structure and made it work. Um, and, and not having them around and not having that guidance, um, even though, you know, I was still the end of the phone, um, you know, not having that sort of physical guidance from them at that time. Yeah. I, I, I got lost. Yeah. And I got really lost and really quick and didn't know how to come out. Yeah, that was the issue.
0: So you're going through this challenge, not playing in the seniors, um, after being a star in junior ranks. Yeah. You're obviously questioning your own ability. Um, Was there something else holding you back or was just...
1: the whole range of off-field issues, head issues. Yeah. Yeah, my my story goes around uh, anxiety. Um, It's a big part of my life from my school days. Yeah. Through the social connection part of life Yeah, um, not so much my performance through school or my sporting um, but I wasn't uh, I didn't really fit in socially you know I was, I was always sort of um, I had a few it's a bit between year 7 and year 9 I had some real big issues at school with yep. kids, with, with kids um, and you know fitting in was, was a tricky one but because I played footy it worked people open their arms to footballers yeah um but you know, and they're not dealing with—they're not dealing in the emotional intelligence component of how am I feeling and what am I doing, and yeah, is you it know, because of that footy and I was winning all the awards and everything and as I said, that was the first time that I was actually kicked in the bum, about not performing, yeah, because I performed from when I was four years of age, yeah, and that was never issue, um, but that is that that guidance, and then I just sort of lost my way, and I just you know found alcohol. You know, I was thinking oh everyone else is doing it, this is the culture, this is where we do it. But it just it took a hint of a whole big, big sort of um dent into my being. Yeah. Sort of um you know, I got really unfit, you know, for of the south, I forgot all the things that made me get to where I was at that stage. Yeah. So not knowingly just wake up one day and two years later I was like oh, geez, I so can't do something about this. So it wasn't
0: something it was a gradual kind of
1: Breakdown of your focus over a period of time? Yeah, yeah, I think so. As I said, from middle of maybe sort of the first quarter of that 98 season, and yeah. uh, just sort of slowly little behaviors that I was doing, said, you know, partying or drinking on weekends, just you know, having a few drinks to, we'll drink Saturday night, we'll drink Sunday night, we'll drink, you know, during the week, and then it's like, our oh, we all, all happy days, and, um, I got really unfit, and I remember playing in Glenelg a couple of times. I got dropped to reserves in Glenelg, not where I wanted to be. No. Didn't know how to get out of that either. Yeah. Um, and uh, and was a
0: negative press at the time, saying so he's a first round draft pick, struggling in the. Wasn't much press. No,
1: <laughs> no, wasn't much press at all. At all, you know, in terms of press, back then we had the advertiser, a bloke called Michael Andrew. Richie, Ritchie, yeah, he yeah. was still around, I think, doing his thing. Um, he was the only person that reported on footy for the whole thing, yeah, in Adelaide. Um, you know, but it was just that sort of um, self bad media that I was giving myself, yeah, uh, understanding what am I doing here. But, um, you know, then I had a pretty um, interesting relationship with our Glenel coach because you know, there's the idea that well, mm-hmm. you should be performing, why aren't you performing? Um, you know, and I wasn't. A couple of weeks there that I didn't even get a kick in the Glenelg reserves.
0: Not so you, you not only lost focus, lost interest in. I lost footy interest, from. lost
1: ability. I didn't know how to get a kick. I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, I just, I just it was just lost in terms of the footy world. And I think I just got really badly bitten on the bum by the footy god. Yeah. Because um, I thought I was, I thought I was better than I was.
0: You think, yeah. You think you deserve some level of success or? Yeah. deserve that spot in the first. This is where I should be. Why
1: aren't I there? Why won't you let me just do my thing? Yeah. Um, And yeah, I lost it. Yeah, I really struggled to navigate that path out.
0: But you then get a path out to Hawthorne. So back to Victoria.
1: Well, my first path, my path out came um, the end of the season. Right. At 98. Um, And then I worked my, and I was fit as for 99 pre-season. I was above and beyond doing it. and then my relationship um, with the club and the coaches and the GM was just not good. Yeah. Um,
0: and this is the start of
1: '99. The start of '99. Yeah. Uh, and I was fit and I was playing and I was in the Glenelg playing in Glenelg, and I was getting I was ta- I was playing a tagging role at this stage, and I was still getting you know I was negating my opponent and getting the thirty positives away. Yep. Should have been playing, and I, and it really gets me that I should have been playing. I should have had an opportunity to perform out there. Um. And I was emergency, I think, maybe seven or eight times.
0: Yeah.
1: And they would just not give me a crack. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, and then I said, they gave me, offered me a contract at the end of the year. Joe um, manager pulled me aside and said, you know, we're going to sign you for a couple more years. And I said, you know, you can stick your contract. Um, get me back to Melbourne.
0: Yeah. We'll make it
1: happen. Yeah. Because I'm not coming back here. Um, and then sort of, yeah, got that, uh, packed the car up and. Made the eight-hour trip back to, to Melbourne and got to trade back to Hawthorne.
0: And you were fit because you then played uh, 58 games over the next couple of years. Yeah. Kicked well, 24 goals. So. Well,
1: all that hard work that I'd put in into that 99 season um, for the second half of the year, as I said, that not train smarter, train harder. I trained ridiculously. I was, you know, I was doing extra, you know, I was running sort of extras every week, probably 30, 40K on top of training. I was fit as... Um, and, but I had pubis for the second half of the year. So the days I couldn't get out of bed. And then I, my first day of Hawthorne um, pre-season in November, I um, went to see everybody and say, hello, this is who I am. And the next day I was in for an operation um, on my pubis. So, um, yeah, I was laid up and didn't train with the squad um, in terms of skills-wise until I think it was the end of February. So, you know, first... Impressions at a football club is that you put you know, the work in and do it with each other, and um, wasn't able to do that. And spent the first half of that year in two thousand at Box Hill.
0: Yep.
1: Um, uh, Donald McDonald was our coach yep. back then, um, and put the work in and made it work, and know, yeah, played my footy. That was I knew I could play.
0: So you got back to that, got to that level, did that for a couple of years. Yep. You're still enjoying yourself off. The track?
1: No, I was good. I had me. I had my head pulled in. Yeah, pretty, pretty well. Um, what was the change
0: that got you back on track to then focus back on footy for that? I think uh, being home.
1: Yeah, just being home. Yeah. I, was, I moved back in home with mum and dad. Rails back. Rails with. back were on. Yep. Um, uh, you know, I still enjoyed a, a time out and all sort of stuff, but it wasn't a regular. was my thing. I had yeah. A steady relationship um, with a girl at the time as well. Um, that was all sort of making it. Make it work we'll. And then um yeah in two thousand yeah, two thousand and two, two thousand and three, two thousand and four, just sort of like, oh, we'll just look out for a few more drinks and um, a whole range of issues sort of you know getting away from me um, off field and yeah. Got back into the drink and partying pretty pretty hard. Um yeah. in two thousand and four and the yeah, relationship issues, the whole thing. Yeah. Grandpa died, um, you know, I, I didn't do it well with that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then you know we trace it back that yeah my relationship around man, my depression, um, yeah. when being traced back finally it was around about that time. Um, and
0: you weren't talking to anyone about what you were feeling, or were you were?
1: I was starting to get injured a little bit. Um, in two thousand and in two thousand two, two thousand three, I was getting injured a little bit. My hammies were just going berserk, and I was just doing my hammie all the time. And uh, and I walked in so many times to. Our psychologist, our welfare guy at the time, Simon Lloyd, who's now a footy manager or something at Geelong, um, but he was a he was a superstar. He was obviously he was, a
0: cracking bloke. Cause cracking they, bloke. His yeah.
1: nickname name's genuine, genuine. Yeah, right. Sorry. Um. So you got to be a pretty good fella to be. You know, yes. Know, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um. But uh, I walked in so many times to his office and just was crying and bore my eyes out and just said I don't want to quit. I'm, I'm I'm done with this. I just want to be normal. I'm just want to go back to a normal life. Yeah. Um. But that disillusion, we'll call it, was like, what's a normal life? Why, why would I give up just because I'm feeling a little bit of shit? Um, but you yeah, know, always talked around to it. Oh, okay, we'll put the plan in place. We'll make sure you, you know, get your performance up and get some fitness back. Yeah, and, blah, 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 and everything could be okay. Um, but I think it was because I was doing just footy. I think that was my thing. That was really sort of. Putting a lot of pressure and impact, negative impact on my footy it's because I was just playing footy. That was it. I was not doing a study, I wasn't doing any work, I didn't have anything else. So it was either footy or, or go for a party.
0: <laughs> so, um, with this party at the end of uh, or during 2004, you're involved yeah. in a bit of an incident with a, another player. Yeah. Um, you then have a falling out with the club. Is that is that how Pretty it, much. He yeah.
1: um, was drink I, driving. Drink driving. There was yeah. drink driving involved? Um, so I, that night was a Friday night game. I played a minute of footy that night. It was Eddie had Stadium. I remember. I think it was Richmond or Geelong we were playing against. And I played literally a minute of footy that night. I was on the ground. Um, this is the days before rotations and all that sort of stuff. So, um, which would be great. If you been a player, so you wouldn't expect it to play the whole game. Um, but uh, and I just cracked it. I walked it straight out of the rooms. Like the coaches and that try to pull me aside, you know, talk with blah blah blah. And I said, "See you later." And I walked out and I grabbed one of the my teammates and said, "Let's go." And um, yeah, and I, you know, one of the, my biggest regrets of my life, the activity that could have ended up in something really, really devastating and tragic or you know, fatal. Um, and looking yeah. back
0: though, was it was it sort of like I mean I'm like, psychologist,
1: but was it a cry
0: for help? Was it seeking attention? Massive cry for help.
1: Yeah, I wrote myself off to a point which was ridiculous and I thought I was invincible. Um, massive cries for help. I just... And I didn't know why nobody said, hey, what are you doing? Yeah. Well, come here. You know, I just... I, I think I needed that. I, I And um, my mum was overseas at the time working um, and I just... In the relationship I had with my dad at the time wasn't one that to have that sort of conversation with, um, and then yeah, I just I let loose and we, in my my anxiety in my world that I was living in, I thought oh, we will just tell the club that it didn't happen, um, and the club being the club stood up for its players and remember John Hook he came out and did a press conference because it come on the rumour file remember the Triple M rumour yeah. file. We come up with the triple room rumor file that um, uh, Danny Jacobs had uh, been done for drink driving, and obviously then the story is like, oh. And then we come up with a story. So Danny and I were straight on the phone to each other. What's well, how are we going to get out of this? And we um, we said we'll say, well, we'll drive in your car, um, but I was just uh, in the in the in the just sitting in there at the front of the club, and they pulled us up. So and you weren't even there, but. So the club then just come out and said, no, no, this is what happened. But then- uh, That backed you? Yeah, backed us um, in. Not thinking that he was going to go out in the, into the media and say all this sort of stuff. It was just going to be left alone. And then the police come out the very next day and said, no, this is what happened. This is the..." And um, that was uh, sort of my relationship with the club. Went pretty downhill pretty quick after that.
0: And you traded then to North? No.
1: Delisted. Elisler Clarkson came in. Yeah. Um, uh, okay. so Peter Swab got sacked five games to go um, Don McDonald became coach and I um, they gave me an opportunity to play and I did and I played really good footy for those last five games of the 2004 season and uh, was expecting to go for another contract and let's go um, because I've been offered contracts throughout that year uh, because I was performing in, in before and my, my manager at the time said no no I'll look toward the end and we'll get better so, so I put a lot of faith in my manager, which, um, you know, inside, over a number of things is probably not a good thing. Um, and then uh, called into the meeting with our client, our Clarkson to say, like, okay, oh, we're thinking about what's the opportunity, what are we gonna do? And he just said, we're going a different direction and you're no longer with us. Yeah. Um. So I was just like, and got up, shook his hand, and walked out. Didn't even try to have a conversation with him about anything. Um. And then went in my car and cried for hours. I went home and saw my dad, the first person I saw, and cried for hours. And was just like, "What have I, what have I gotten done here?" Uh, manager was on the, he'd been told, um, and he said, All right, will we'll work it out. We'll get you somewhere." So I had an option to go train at either Melbourne um, or North Melbourne. Yep. And I was living in Killer Downs at the time. Yep. And because of My relationship with Donald McDonald, he who, who went to North Melbourne. Um, I went to North Melbourne for that reason, purely because of Donald McDonald. Um, and I thought, okay, well, yeah, and like a bit closer to home, sort of thing, as well. And uh, yeah, and then same thing, I but I didn't put the training in off season, I was unfit, I was yuck. I just you know, so it took, sounds like you had a real roller coaster. Ah, like uh, man, my, my head was in a space that just as I said, I just forgot what got me to where I was, yeah. Why I should have been doing all the other things, but then, um, yeah. I, but I played, you know, from from the start of the year, and I played consistently um, throughout the year. Um, I think I maybe dropped once, but I had a lot of injury, had a few injuries that I was coming back from, and then. Um, but I started, started started partying pretty hard, um, and not just alcohol. So I started getting on the gear and um, just thinking, well, oh, it's all good. I'm performing, you know.
0: But um, so no, you're obviously. Not internally super happy with the way things had gone for yourself no, or your career. No,
1: I mean, yeah. The relationship I was in at the time as well, um, with a girlfriend at the time, that was just another headspace as well. Yeah. Um. Well, I was thinking, one way I in my third club? What's going on here? I never felt like belonged. Um. I never felt like belonged at North Melbourne. Yeah. I just uh, I didn't feel it at all. Did you
0: Did you yeah. ever pull yourself up and see your behaviour sort of? as destructive, self-destructive, and go... Would
1: have been a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would have been a great idea if I had to do that. But um, you never did? No. No? No, no. because I was still performing. Yeah. I was still playing. I was still playing regularly, and I was still doing what I needed to do on the field. Yeah. Was I excelling? No. But was I playing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, and I looked forward to the time when the game time was over. I could get home, go have a shower, and... Go out right straight away. Yeah, and see you Monday.
0: Yeah, that was it. And when did when was there lack of a better word like an intervention where something happened in your life that someone said, "This is not right for you. This is not how your life should be." 31. Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: So finish footy. Finish footy. Yeah. I really over, and their partying and the substances escalated to a position that was ridiculous. Um, I um, got to a point where I was using. some sort of substance, um, pretty much every day, um, whether it was smoking, smoking joints or pipes, or taking pills, or sorting Coke, or whatever it was, pretty yeah. much, um, every day, I was still functioning, I was still doing, I was still living. I had a great life. I was a PT in the city, yeah, um, yeah. So I was living that life and living a sort of a, a bat life, if you want to call it as well. Yeah. Um, that, uh, but because I was physically performing in my chosen field, in the PT world, and I was training, I was you know, training myself 10, 12 times a week. I was, I was a beast physically. Um, so I just like, this is all right. We can keep doing yeah. this, you know? Um, and it wasn't until I um, uh, yeah, nearly, uh, nearly suicided um, that I thought, nah, this is not.
0: So you were unhappy or confused or anxious while you Training or the whole
1: thing? <laughs> Everything. Yeah, tick one of each box. Um, I was just lost. Same thing. I didn't. I, I was getting away with things that you shouldn't be able to get away with. Um, I can't understand how you managed to keep going to work and train if you're like uh, burning the candle at both ends. Both ends. Yeah, just did. Yeah, I don't understand it either. I don't understand it either. Um, it got scary at one stage and, you know, it was the, the only thing that I wanted to do. You know, I started sort of, um, I got to a point where I was sort of then skipping a lot of work to stay home and right. do stuff. So it
0: eventually catches up
1: with you? It eventually catches up. Yeah, there. okay. Um, and then I, I dislocated my knee in 2011, the start of 2011, and that sort of, and then I wasn't able to work. So I was at home and I had a lot of time and a lot of a lot of issues um, and just was hiding it a lot as well. Yeah. Hiding it really bad. Like, I. You know. No one really knew the level that I was doing in it, um, but I had money. Yeah, you know, and I had time. Yeah, let's do it. Dangerous mix. Dangerous mix. Yeah, um, and yeah, and then it uh, got to the point where, sitting sort of end of two thousand eleven, where I um, you know, found myself on a roof and contemplating the idea of jumping off, and thought that well, that's that's my point. That was the the self intervention. You want to call it uh, that? Uh, then I put the plan in place and. Uh, went cold turkey went cold turkey off the gear in January 2012 had you spoken to a medical professional yeah 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 I I spoke to my wife first of all my girlfriend at the time um about you know I need some help This is not where it's at yeah um and I spoke to one of my best mates um who was a a nurse who had a really good relationship with her and I, I rang her and I said to her this is this is what's going on yeah um so then I went and saw my doctor, who was the, the, um, my doctor from North Melbourne, but called Cometropolis, who's still my doctor now. Um, and went in and, him and said, everything's going on. And, and uh, yeah, it was just like, okay, um, put the plan in place, and I saw the range of psychologists, um, and then got to a psychiatrist at the Melbourne clinic, and um, eventually got there, I think, in end of February, 2012. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And started getting off the substances. Yeah, it
1: went cold turkey. Um, just said, see you later. That's it. I can't do this anymore. I put the plan in place at that time that I was getting off the harsher stuff. I would say, and I was just smoking a lot of, uh, smoking a lot of joints, a lot of weed, and um, and then I just put that plan in place. And you just said, well, you gotta get off it. Yeah. And, okay. So, and I did because that's not particularly good for ones. Mental health either. No, no, please. Um, But you do think at the time that it's good for your mental health. You think it's helping. Yeah, you think it's helping. It's your medication. It's It's relaxing. You're escaping. It's relaxing. You get away from it. Um, But it just manifests and becomes so much larger than it it should be. Yeah. Um, But, uh, yeah, so I went cold turkey. Yeah, got back into some physical exercise. Started walking again, which was nice because there's so many issues that I have with my knee. Um, And that was my thing disassociated myself from all the connections and you know, places and everything that was. Um, so it's still very mentally tough to be able to do that. Must have been. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I don't really think of it like that. I think it's just something that you just have to do. Yeah, and don't talk about think about it as mental toughness or whatever. I mean, my wife brings it up a fair few times, you know, a fair bit that um for someone to do that on its own accord, yeah. Um, you have to have a, a bit of mental commitment. It's not much toughness. It's more mental commitment, commitment yeah. to, to understanding why, um, mm-hmm. and this is everything yeah. that I do now. Is I, I have a, a mental commitment to making it work.
0: So where do you cross out from getting yourself right, getting yourself committed to a, a plan, mm-hmm. and then you come up with the idea for uh, "Love I mean, Me,
1: Love You." Three months after that, so my idea was for for those people that have ever been. Um, hazy with their ability upstairs due to substances or alcohol um, when you get off it and you're actually able to think and process and be and to live you um the, the ideas that come in is just crazy unbelievable you know I had ideas of running um, marathons on every continent around the world yeah. and I had I had ideas everywhere it was just flying down and I, I can't, I'm still trying to find the, the pad of paper that I had at that time just because conspired. I just started writing yeah. and I was writing everything that was going on and this is my ideas. what I'm sort of going to do this. I'm going to go about it. And the amount of research I put into it and then I'm just like, all right, what can I do that's going to actually be achievable? Um, because my knee, I, the running thing was never going to be a thing and I'm built like a brick shit house. So running a marathon probably not going to be the thing either. <laughs> um, so... I said oh, I learned some... But walking was my thing. I became a walker. Yeah. And every day, morning, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, I was a walker. And that yep. was my care, and that was my drug. That was my thing that I did. And I said to uh, my mum and my wife at the time, and my wife, I said, I want to do this walk from Sydney to Melbourne. See how can i make it happen. What can I do? How do I do this? Um, and my mum gave me an idea and she said, she goes, well, why don't you do more than do a walk from Sydney to Melbourne? Why don't you actually... Start something out, and um, I did. Got a group of people together um, that I trusted, who were really good for me at that time in my life, and said, "I want to start this foundation. You know, I want to. This is how we're going to make it work." Yeah. And, and and how difficult
0: was you to was it to reconcile um, your situation, and what you'd been through, and then wanting to share that with everyone as part of the, you know, if you're going through this, I've been mm. through this, and, and sharing so much of yourself. It sounds like quite a big leap to make for someone
1: who. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. It's a huge leap, and it's. it's, But the more I became comfortable with what it was, and even this was, even probably till a couple of years ago, being really genuinely comfortable with the fact of what my life was. Yeah, um, and being open to the fact that I'm not the only person that's been through this. Yeah, yeah. There is hundreds of thousands of people in this country. That are going through it right now. Yeah, um, and my understanding, and this is my, my my head to think about it, is that others are going through it. You're not alone on your journey. You, this is not you. This is not. We're not talking about, um, yeah. you know, just uh, stressful situations. We're talking about debilitating illnesses that are taking over and impacting people's lives to a point where that suicide is an option in their life. Yeah. Um, but I, I journaled a lot. I a lot. And I was just sitting in the same cafe um, in around the corner from where I was living at the time for hours on day, hours a day, and just writing from my earliest memories to you know things that I was doing, processing at that time, um, and that helped me become really comfortable with it. Yeah. And the more conversations I was having with people about it, um, and most people said, "You're kidding," Yeah. You know, whatever, mate. And I just kept telling people, "I'm going to do this walk. I'm going to do this walk," and mm. it got to a point where. I've got to do this walk. I've told, I've told enough people um, <laughs> that I'm gonna do this, so I better do it. And then but put all that plan in place and then I we started we, we were founded as an organization in January 2013. Yeah. So twelve just under twelve months after I finally got the help that I needed. Um, so the process to get it done to start it up was, was quite quick. And was it important to keep yourself busy during the- Extremely busy, yeah, extremely yeah. I was doing so much research, I was training a walking a lot. Um but, you know, and we and the sacrifice that my wife made to be with me at the time was, was amazing. And I'm a thankful and grateful person in the world for what she yeah. did and does for me every single day. Yeah, um, You know, we were a one single-income family. Um, she put up with all that shit that I was going through, uh, the moods, everything that was going through it. Being around somebody that's um, uh, detoxing and stuck by, yeah, stuck by me, stuck yeah. by with all that sort of stuff, um, and yeah, it was trying to keep myself busy between two thousand thirteen, and then I just trained. I was training ridiculously for this walk. Um, got involved back in the footy club. and I was back know, to Meriton Park. Okay, um, I got an opportunity to become like a fitness and assistant coach oh, at Meriton yeah. Park. Yeah. So I was you know, engaging in there, and I was loving it. I was really genuinely loving it. Um, but then, um, yeah, and then I got really fit. Super fit. I was unbelievable. I was probably fitter training for this walk um, than I was my whole AFL career. Yeah, right. I was fit. I was, everything was happening, but more mentally fit.
0: The walk then. So then yep. you walk from Melbourne to Sydney. Sydney to Melbourne. Sydney we walked Melbourne. and
1: ran. So 18 days, in between 50 to 70 Ks a day. And who did you do that with? Uh, I did the whole thing by myself, apart from days one and two, five and six, 11 and 12, um... I had some people join in for little bits along the rest of it. You didn't have a support crew, or? Mum? Just Mum. Mum was the, the main support crew, driving the uh, the Kia Carnival um, with the trailer on the back full of stuff, um, driving behind me for six kilometres an hour for nine hundred and twenty kilometres. Wow! So that uh, effort, she will still tell the story today. How sore her bum still is from <laughs> sitting in the car for that long for that <laughs> period of time. Um, but. You know, uh, my my had other support crew come up along the way before it, and then my wife was there for the last week of it as well because yeah, same thing she had to work because we needed money and all sort of stuff. So, but she came up for the last week and had other people, and then the last day we had I think twenty odd people that walked from Wallen, yeah, um, downtown Wallen, uh, Wallen into the city on the last day, and my dad did it. My dad. yeah, you know, the experience of walking along that track with my dad was pretty, was pretty emotional at the time. Yeah. Um, having known his story as yeah. well, his experiences, and um, having known him put himself in that position um, to be able to do that. And, um, you know, it's pretty emotional, but, you know, having my wife and family and friends and then, yeah, and then that was it. And then... We had um but the research and the programs that we've done and put into it it's constantly evolved. Our walk, you know, we're just about to plan uh, we're planning an open registrations for our seventh March with me event. Um, That's great. So And how many
0: people will be involved this time?
1: Well, we're tar- we had just under a thousand people. Um, do it this year in 2019 so yeah. in 2020 we're aiming for 2,000 people wow um, you know to, to sit back and enjoy that experience is, is pretty amazing to see people from all corners of the country all corners of the state pretty much pretty much, um, come together to you know some people do it in memory of people that have suicided yeah. uh, which creates a level of emotion that you, can, you just can't prepare for um then there's also, you know, just people our corporate partners, we've got people from all over the all the place, the footy clubs that we speak to, the schools that we speak to, um, you know, our programs our the campaigns that help us everything. So Well, well
0: let's dive into that. Firstly, before yeah. I do go into that entrepreneurial journey of starting mm. this foundation, what was your when you crossed that line back into Melbourne and you made this achievement, you've done yeah. something, you've set out, what was your feeling? Were you
1: My feeling was that i know I that was not until that moment that I knew I'd beaten it. I'd beaten my my head. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was so unbelievably emotional. Um, you know, uh, hanging with my mum and my wife at the end, I was unbelievably emotional. I was wrecked, but I was still. Uh, but I, I was so got so unbelievably fit on the of the <laughs> journey because I, I did. I ran two minutes, walked four minutes the whole way. Yeah, wow. Um, but uh, I was beaten my. I beat my mental illness. Yeah. But, Finally thought, I don't need drugs yeah. anymore in part of my life. Um, and if people don't like me for who I am, then bad luck. That's tough. That's theirs. Yeah. Um, and then for me just to own it, yeah.
0: That's a, that's a great story to then have now, to, you know, aiming for 2,000 people joining you on it. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and it is. It's, it's
1: huge and we love it. And the, the experience of March With Me is an amazing one for everyone that's involved. Um, it puts a challenge to people, you know, but this year we've made it even more accessible to, to like a the max distance of a walk is 45 Ks, but yeah. even that still, you know, that's still seven, seven, eight hours of, of walking. Yeah, so, it's a long time. Um, you know, but you know, it's it, I get great appreciation for my, our love me, love you's ability to connect into communities and to people that um, we've never spoke, we would have never have spoken about what's going on in their
0: life. And tell me about then, you know, starting from an idea, a kernel of having this foundation, to growing it. So then you've got all these mm. other business challenges mm. and entrepreneurial challenges, and trying to get sponsors and money, yeah. and there's other people competing for your their yeah. attention. Now. Yeah,
1: competing for the attention, competing for the dollar. How do you competing work? for look, everything? I don't know. I have a really good team around me. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the team's evolved, and there's been people come and go part of our part of our journey, at love me, love you. Um, I have, previous to starting this, and even to now, my business experience has has been a constant learning curve. Um, I have some of the best mentors in business that you could imagine. Um, uh, you know, if business uh, mentors in the psychology, mental health is yeah. Like you know, my mentor there is she's one of the greatest in the country. Um, you know, so I have the greatest team around me. Yeah um but it's just connecting we keep it real and that's what we do and we, 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 we connect people to the reality that we um we get it you know we, we get what's going on um, and it's there's no one blueprint for every individual so i can't just go to here tony this is going to work for you yeah we, we 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 what we believe is we empower people to make it work for themselves yeah and that's the idea
0: and this this space especially around afl of mental health has become uh, more and more high profile over time. There's been, you know, others also championing the cause uh, like Wayne Schwass. Yep. Has that been helpful for you uh, to have that kind of support in the?
1: How um, say this? Yes and no. Um, there's still people. So when we started as an organisation in two thousand, launched in two thousand fourteen, um, there was something like maybe close to seven hundred mental health not for profits. There's a difference. Mental health not-for-profits in um, in the country. Now there's 2,500. Two yeah, it's an mental explosion. Mental health not for profit of, explosion. It's gone huge. Yeah. Plus there's the ones that are, are, are setting themselves up as um, for-profit businesses in a yeah. mental health space that are uh, now marketing themselves as not-for-profits and lots of stuff, which is another space for another day. It's um, uh, so opening more conversations. More people are understanding and there's enough people in this country and enough organizations that connections are made differently. Yeah. People connect differently to different people, different organizations, and how they go about it. And it's perfectly fine. The more people that have come out recently, in terms of um, highly successful people in terms of the sporting field and business and celebrity world, yeah. coming out and talking about it, that's what's helped. Yeah. Um, uh, that's what's helped our ability to do what we need to be able to do. Um, people are more accepting of. Accessing the programs, yeah. people more accepting of accessing the um, the help and support that they need. Um, you know, obviously the the royal commission into the mental health. That's the, once the findings and everything comes out from that, it's all, um, but we won't know the the um, positive impact that that will have for It'll another fifteen be, to twenty years. Hopefully, more funding though, at the very least. More funding, yes, but where's the funding going to go? Yeah, that's true. This is the thing. So there's the high high importance around people in that high-risk area to get the support that they need. But what an organisation like ours believes is 100% it needs funding, it needs service, it needs the ability to keep up with the demand that's coming through. But if we can actually get that before it gets to that high-risk stage and gets the people with the content the resources support, um, the support, the, the, their own frameworks that they need to be working with, the safe environments that they need to be able to do, that comes at a community level. The more funding and programs that we can get into schools, you know, the, the school curriculum should have a mental health and wellbeing yep. component that is part of it, not just the tick off the list. It's actually making it work into those schools. You know, sports clubs, community clubs should have an ability to have a um a health mental health nurse even to be a part of the football club yep. to be funded to to make sure that the, the players and members are getting. Um, the support that they need in there, the education that comes through there. Yeah. Workplaces are doing a lot better now, but workplaces are also doing it as a tick off the list. Yes. Yeah. You know? So it's just, oh, yeah, we run a mental health session. Oh, that's nice. Um, But what are you doing with it? What's your strategy around it? What's the wellbeing strategy? What's the culture that you're leading through here? Um, But, you know, there's... So it. Hopefully there will be more funding. They have to. And you've obviously still got incredible passion and drive in this space? I love it. I love this space. I um, Every day is different. I, I said, I connect. I talk about how fickle my world is as well, a little bit, um, with that. You know, like say for instance, last Thursday, I was at the, um, one of our partners is Bunnings. So, you know, the biggest brand and employee um, business in the, in the country. Um, but And um, the MD of uh, Bunnings is on our, one of our directors for the foundation. And they do a Pedal for Purpose day, so a cycling event and fundraise for us every year. So the last three years have done that. Um, so we got to spend an amazing first half of the day doing that and being a part of it, creating conversation, and as it doesn't matter whether you're the MD of Bunnings or whether you are the person at the lowest of levels. We're all going through the same challenges, different, different levels. But then three hours later, I was at the um, Hoppers Crossing Cricket Club who, um, we doing a T20 fundraising game awareness game, um, but one of their players had suicide a month ago. Mm. So I was having to do a presentation to these to this club. There's about 150 in attendance. where are at Hoppers Crossing Creek clubs with the family of um, the parents of the young young man Bryce um, in the front row. So how do you prepare? How do you understand? How do you try and create that conversation to these people? Um, you know. But I know at the end of it, when their mum came up and gave me a hug and said, thanks very much, um, you know, I, it gives you that bit more motivation to keep rocking what you're doing. Do
0: you, do you ever think, you know, I've, I've had, a, had a football career that maybe didn't turn out the way it should Everything be. happens for a reason. Do, do you, do you yeah,
1: think that? Yeah, 100%. Everything happens for a reason. I mean, because
0: you're changing people's lives and helping in a way that football the, the,
1: can't. The foundation is changing people's lives. This, and, and everyone has their ability to play that role. Yeah, everyone has it. it. Is more and the more people that play that role of having a, a creating a positive impact on people, other people's lives, we're all going to be better off. I 100% believe things happen for a reason. Um, you know, if I hadn't have um, got kicked out of primary school and went to Essendon Grammar and hadn't played footy, I wouldn't have got drafted, if I hadn't have done all those things in my AFL career, I wouldn't have cut short, I wouldn't have become a PT, I wouldn't have met my wife. So I started training my wife, and that's how I met her. So if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have gone through the challenges that I had been and got to the world that I was living in at that stage. Um, Then I wouldn't have started uh, the foundation and then I wouldn't have had my two amazing boys and lived the life that I get to live now. The hardest thing is is that hopefully we can live our life without so much adversity. yeah. And you can get us to the journey where we want to. Um, But you've got to – it's not about – that it's happened for a reason to me to get to Rome now. It's more the fact of that I'm understanding of what was happening and the more we become more mindful of our present situation to understand the experiences, the goods or the bads that are going through, um, that we can have a more positive impact on our, my own life. It's an amazing
0: journey full of, you know, twists and ups and downs. There must be a moment that stands out for you where you've made an impact to someone or even even yourself where you've gone, geez. This is
1: I amazing. Um, you know the the biggest part I think for me is is has always been that um, my dad is you know able to talk about his stuff. Yeah, you know to genuinely my dad to, to sit next to a person in a cafe and start talking and then just tell him, tell that person about his um, mental health challenges. Yeah, if that gets me. It's a great achievement. That I, I love that.
0: Well, that puts it into a nice fine point to finish on uh, a lighter note with a quick fire round. Um, So who's been the greatest inspiration to
1: you? Oh, my wife. Yeah. My mum. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like you're surrounded by incredible women. Incredible women. My, you know, we, we talk about support crews a lot, and I'm you this one. So we want you to nominate your five people in your life that you go to when um, you need help, yeah, or just to talk every day, to check in with. And my top three are my wife, my mum, and my sister.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I'm surrounded by amazing, amazing women um, in my life, and, you know, I um, appreciate that. My wife, the challenges and stuff that she's been through in her life, um, you know, to see her uh, become the best possible version of a mother and, and supporter and wife is, is pretty inspirational for me. Great.
0: Um, what's the kindest thing anyone's ever said to you?
1: Thanks. Um, who's your favourite AFL footballer? Who's my favourite now or ever? Ever. Oh, Gary Outlet's pretty good. Yeah. Um, I had the unbelievable opportunity, privilege to play with and against Andrew McLeod. Yeah, he was, he was effortless. Yeah, he was so unbelievably silky and everything. He just made the game look like it was a computer game. Yeah, um, so, had time and space. And uh, just gl- glide over the just ground. Glide skills. Yeah. He didn't know whether he was left or he was right. He could, he could do everything. He was. So,
0: yeah. so that answers my next question. Who were you in awe of when you were playing against someone?
1: where I was playing against, um yeah, play him. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Like he was unbelievable.
0: Um favorite comedian?
1: oh I, I like Carl Barron
0: Yeah. If you could go anywhere in the world now for lunch, where would you go? For lunch. Yeah.
1: Oh I love a good yum cha.
0: Favourite band?
1: I don't know, pretty back in the day.
0: What advice would you give to people who are thinking about
1: starting a foundation? Know why you're gonna do it. You you gotta own it. You gotta know why it is. Um, It's a tough space. It is an unbelievably tough space. But if you believe so much in your ability to make a difference and have an impact, um, own it and make it work. You just gotta make it work.
0: Lance Piccioni, thank you for sharing your thoughts and intimate feelings. Uh, the journey's been amazing. Um, the difference you're making to people's lives is inspirational. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd like to thank you from everyone for bringing mental health issues to and, the uh, fore. And um, thanks very much, Lance, for being on discipline.
1: And I appreciate it. That's thanks for having me. Um, and instead of being inspirational, be motivational. That's what it's about. So appreciate Cheers, it. Mate. Thanks. thanks very much. Cheers. Appreciate it.